welcome to the Skeptic Wire. And we are coming to you on the 2nd of April, 2014. And this is episode 156. A little late for April Fool's. Oh, well. And technically, I think this would put us at our three-year anniversary today. 52-52-52. Well, our first episode was released on April 14th. So probably next week is more likely. Yeah. Or thereabouts, but... Yeah, I'm just counting by weeks. It's hard to be a, a anniversary when it's just the two of us. I mean, I know we miss Gary, who yeah. is still working diligently on his thesis, or at least we hope he's working diligently. Actually, I talked to him yesterday because he had a question about some stuff with another project that we're working on. I um, mean, he is diligently working on his thesis right now. <laughs> um, it was pretty much a, can I get this? Cause um, I really need to get back to work sort of thing. <laughs> um, he's hoping actually to be back next week. Oh, so good. hopefully we will have Gary back. I mean, it's snarky enough, just the two of us, but he adds a whole new level of snark to our podcast at times. Let me put it this way. When I edit a show, that's just you and I, Donna, or you and me, is it you and me? Or, fuck. I am such an English idiot. When I edit a podcast when it's just the two of us, there's virtually no outtakes. Hmm. Maybe we'll each screw up occasionally here or there, but not quite as much breakdown silliness. We just completely lost it, unless it's really all three of us. I know, and I kind of miss that right now. <laughs> I kind of use it. Well, since it's close to our anniversary is there a birthday that we can talk about sure there's always a birthday we can talk about some more appropriate than others i am pretty sure we have not done this person before he... i don't like the sound of that <laughs> he is on the obscure side he was born april 2nd 1910 and he passed away at the age of 92, only a few years ago in 2002. Hmm. So lived a long and full life. He is Brazilian. Okay. Any guesses so far? No, he did not invent the, the Brazilian. The Brazilian. No. I was actually going there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd head that off at the pass. Uh, no, I've got actually no idea because... Okay. The person that I thought you were doing is completely non-skeptical. This person is related to skepticism, but is not skeptical. Okay. This person wrote, but didn't write, approximately 470 books, which are described as romances, books of poetry, books on spiritualism. I've got no idea. Because, you know, it's also Victoria Jackson's birthday today. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. So, yeah. Well, we'll do her next year, or maybe we did her last year. I don't know. Let's see. Um, well, the reason why I say he did but did not write all those books is he was a medium who did psychography, which is essentially 
the um, the the magic writing automatic writing right, automatic writing um, where he is Yates possessed. was into that William Butler Yates oh okay he spent the last half of his career actually seriously studying it and his wife would do it and <laughs> I I had an English professor in college who was a total whore for Yates. That's the gotcha. only reason I know okay. this. So I know more about William Butler Yates than I ever <laughs> wanted to know. When I took her class and she started talking about this, I really wasn't into the skeptical movement. I mean, I was 21. Of a skeptical mindset, but hadn't really delved into it. Right. And even then, I was like looking at her like with the what the fuck look. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can understand this in maybe 1910. I, You know, right. a, a, a little bit. And and she really thought it was like, oh, this is perfect. Well, I don't know how much of it was she was just all into it and thought it as much as she was that into Yates. And anything that Yates did was, you know, touched with gold and spewed rainbows and unicorns. And all right. That's starting to sound more and more like a cult. <laughs> she pretty much was, was, yeah, very cultish about William Butler Yates. Gotcha. Well, this guy was related to, but not part of the, oh boy, people are going to hate me for this one, Federacho Espirita Brasilia, or something like that. Federacho Essentially Espirita. the Brazilian Spiritualist Federation. Okay. And uh, he wrote all these books, and apparently attributed some of them to known dead authors, but also he had a spirit guide by the name of Emmanuel, who had been reincarnated several different times. He started out as a senator in Rome and became uh, a religious figure in Spain and, the, and then a professor later on in, in Sorbonne or something like that. So he did sometimes get into weird legal troubles where his book attributed to a certain poet or something, the family of that deceased poet would bring it before the judge, say, well, if he says it was written by this person, we should get the royalties for this. And the judge essentially said... You cannot prove mediumship, so we're just going to say if someone's dead, they're dead, and that doesn't count. But uh, I forgot we hadn't gotten into the name of the person. Yeah, we haven't. We kind of veered off. That um, was my fault. No, no, that's okay. Uh, okay, here's kind of a clue, and maybe if you know the person, you'll get it. He might have a school for gifted children. Charles Xavier? Close. <laughs> Think of the Brazilian version of that name. Carlos. <laughs> okay, apparently you don't know who this person is either. No. That's okay. You've stumped me. I am impressed. I, that's okay. This guy is fairly obscure, I would think. Despite the fact of being voted a couple different times, essentially the, the, the greatest Brazilian of all time or something like that. The greatest Brazilian of all time? The, yeah, the greatest Brazilian of, of the history in 2006 by Epoca Magazine. And there was a TV show, O Major Brasilio de Todos de Tempos. Basically, the name he went by more famously was Chico Xavier. But his full name was Francisco de Paula Candido Xavier. Francisco Candido Paulo Xavier. Other other way around, you added a few too many days and you switched Candido and Paulo. But anyway. Okay. Uh, essentially, he grew up in a broken home where his mother died and 
He was sent off to a godmother who basically beat the shit out of him and stabbed him with forks. There was apparently one instance where this godmother was told that one of the other kids that she had adopted who had a bad wound, that if someone licked the wound on three subsequent Fridays, then it would be cured. And the godmother made Francisco do that. Now, in all this time, based on the couple things I read on him today, it seemed like it was only when really shitty things were happening to Francisco slash Chico Xavier that he would be visited by spirits, including most prominently in his childhood, his dead mother. So he was being beaten by this godmother and being told to lick wounds to make them better. And the ghost of his mother was just giving advice to say, well, if you don't do the licking of the wound, she'll probably beat the shit out of you, so you might as well go ahead and do it. So, I, I think a lot of this is kind of like... Like serious si psychological damage. Yes, uh, psychological defense as well of saying, I, I, there, it's a way I can escape. Now, I am completely doing an armchair quarterback of psychology with this situation, but in the Wikipedia article about him, it mentions that he had a sister who went insane due to spiritual obsession in scare quotes, whatever the heck that was. So it's possible there is a history. A family history. A yeah. family history of some sort of insanity. Maybe he's hearing voices. Maybe that's some kind of schizophrenia. They did apparently do some um, EKGs on him while he was doing his spirit writing. And apparently some of his brain scans slash the uh, wiggly bits on the paper were similar to someone having an epileptic fit, but he wasn't. So it was an EEG, not an. Okay, thank you. But he wasn't di ever diagnosed with epilepsy. He never had a seizure or anything like that. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was something essentially he was able to self-induce some sort of state that he got into when he did these readings, whatever. So that he didn't think it was him that was doing it. Some kind of disassociation or something. But most of the time, the proof that people said of, well, this guy must be a medium doing these writings and it must be the writings of these dead authors was essentially, he didn't have any education past primary school. Didn't go to college or anything like that. There were a lot of things where he would write letters to mothers and, and, and sisters or whatever of dead children kind of... At getting oh. the questions you want answered. And I didn't it find any specifics. It sounds very, what's his name? Uh, John Edward. Uh, kind Except, of. Except, you know, would, of the 1910s. <laughs> he would just write an autom auto, uh, a automatic writing kind of letter to them. And they always said, oh, it was very accurate. And the signatures often matched more than you would think. I don't know how that's a thing. I, not knowing more about this, I would guess that a lot of it has to do with kind of a cold reading of I'm in a better place, I'm okay, you can move on, kind of Yeah, the stuff night. that the stuff that people want to hear, yeah. not the stuff that they're going to question. Apparently this F E B organization that he was closely tied with would take a bunch of these letters and put together and publish them as a book. So you would guess that at least he varied the letters enough that it wouldn't be noticeable to have three hundred in a book and say these pretty much all say the same motherfucking thing. <laughs> he didn't seem to ever really want for anything. He 
but he didn't live the high on the hog or anything. It's it sort seems. of like John Edwards. Yeah, it, it wasn't like that kind of thing. But he apparently this FEB organization is the one that published almost all of his books and all the royalties from these books, including the ones attributed to dead authors that might get him in legal trouble, were all donated to the spiritualist organization. And he didn't take anything directly, but did take a lot of donations and stuff like that. So it's all that included with the abuse as a child makes me think he convinced himself that he did this. I don't think he was an outright fraud. I just think he convinced himself that he could do it and didn't understand kind of idiomotor effects and that sort of thing. And just had a creative mind that could actually write some, I guess, passable poetry that people seem to like. Because all these books of poetry, he sold you know millions and millions of, of these books, and they were translated into some dozens languages and stuff like that, including like Esperanto and Braille. So he seemed to be a popular guy for many, many years. So he is an example of Wu and the fact that that you remember how I mentioned he was voted like best Brazilian in all history. The last person he beat in that vote was Princess Isabel, who, quote, was responsible for the abolition of slavery in Brazil. People thought he was better than her. Maybe See, by a I... 55 to 45 margin, but still enough people. I mean, the only Brazilian that I can think of is the soccer star Pele. That's, <laughs> that's really it, you know. It's kind of where my, my, my Brazilian... Well, we're not Brazilians, so we don't know. But uh, he was a popular figure, wrote a bunch of books. I would choose to attribute the creativity to him because not everybody has to be college educated to be a great artist. No. Even in something like books and writing where you kind of have to... The only thing you really have to do is write well and read a lot to kind of get those juices flowing. Yeah. So... um not skeptical himself, and a lot of people are not skeptical of him, but uh, eh, could be worse. Interesting individual. We'll just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> so we actually, we got some listener mail this week. I, I, I like it when we get user mail. I just kind of, I kind of wish we didn't have to sound surprised <laughs> when we yeah, got I know. user mail. Well, this one first, was definitely a surprise. This was, yeah, surprises, I think, kind of cutting it mildly. One thing I want to point out is the name attached to it. Gotta be his real name. Or her. Or her. Yeah. It's, it's Wiki McDoo. There are five, six O's after the D in McDoo. Is it six? It looks like five to me. Five or six. I, I, five or six, whatever. I'm sorry, I have a cold. They, I'll just use the generic they since we don't know it's here, he Good or job. she. Short letter to the point says. But it's a gripping story. Yes. It's four sentences. You know, like I said, sh short, sweet, to the point, and it's. I have scientific evidence that aliens freeze time every 24 hours so they can make funny faces at us and do funny poses. Okay, so here I have a question. So they're the ones making funny faces One at question, us. question, that's it? <laughs> My first question. Okay. So they're making funny faces at us. Are they making us do funny poses? Sort of like we've become like a doll. 
Because it doesn't say that they're doing the funny poses. They're doing it at us. Right. Well, it says well, so they can make funny faces at us and do funny poses. It's, I, I would assume that generic. based on the context of the rest of the letter, which we'll get to, it's more along the lines of they make funny poses at us because if they were changing how our bodies were arranged, we would probably notice. But the next sentence also says, since time is still, we can't sense it. So maybe they just put us back. Right, right. But they, okay, if they, they, if they were able to put us back entirely back to where we were and in some kind of Matrix-y weird thing like the cat being the deja vu thing at the end of the first Matrix movie, spoiler alert. Go on. <laughs> where it just kind of boop repeats and you're like, that was weird. Like your, your hand moves a millimeter because they get it really right. A lot of that's, a lot of this supposes a whole lot of stuff. Right. So before you get into the next sentence, let's ignore the, I have scientific evidence phrase. Yes. Let's just, you know what? We're going to stop there and we're going to start with aliens freeze time every 24 hours. So aliens have this amazing time freezing. Let's go with technology. Okay. Maybe it's an inborn skill. But I'm going to assume some sort of technological device, whether in organic technology or machine technology, they have that. They are using that purely in addition to their faster than light travel. To fuck with us. To come all the way to Earth, fuck with us in a way that we can't notice, and then leave again. Maybe it's like the Truman Show and it's being broadcast to their home planet. And they're like... Look at what it's their to get form these. of entertainment. That's that's fine, but we are entertaining and stupid enough on our own that without they having don't... to make faces at us. I mean, yes. look at all the quagmire that's going on with Russia and Crimea right now. Just all the craziness that we do on our own, let alone all of cable TV. Okay, so the next sentence is: When they're done, they turn invisible, restart time, and sneak away. So they're kind of like the silence. Kind of. You know, that that whole, we see them, but then we don't see them, and we don't remember them. And, and well, we, I just kind of got very Doctor Who-y over this. I was all like, the, the, the silence aren't invisible. Just when we aren't looking at them, we forget them. This, we can't even perceive them in the first place. Yes. Because they are invisible, which in contrast to what I was saying about the stopping time technology... Maybe an innate ability, because you would think that would be an evolved camouflage to be able to turn invisible. Right. So uh, pretty you know, impressive. The, yeah, I mean, these aliens are. I mean, they can freeze time. They can turn invisible. Plus the internet, and the they, implied intergalactic travel. Right. And finally, it ends. Since they're invisible, we have no idea that they were just there. Well, that just makes sense. Yeah. And it ends with. My dad told me this. This is what I have to say to Wiki McDo. There's a great phrase that we use in skepticism that says extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. Ask your dad what evidence he has for this. It's the first sentence in the email. I have scientific evidence. It's yeah. pretty clear. But it says my dad just told me this. So my That's answer is evidence. Right. Well, I need, I personally need scientific evidence that follows the scientific methodology of doing things. So An you're experiment, saying that, reproducible. 
because time is frozen and the subjects are invisible and imperceptible, that this is a non-testable hypothesis. I just want to know, you know, I would say that until we have a testable hypothesis, I will look at this slightly strangely. Well, you're just a closed-minded skeptic. You don't want yes. to have an open mind about all this wonder that the universe can be. Okay, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. When I was growing up, I had brothers. I think this whole segment is a little yeah, bit of a tangent, but go ahead. a little bit of a ahead. tangent. So when I was growing up, I have older brothers. My older brothers convinced me that there was a closet monster. To this day, even though I have degrees out my ass. You're and still I can worried about that little closet right over there. I want to know what you keep in the other room that the door is always closed. <laughs> okay, I just, I'm just letting you know that that... No, Donna, you don't want to know. Okay, fine. But even to this day, I have such a strong fear of the closet monster that I can rationally say is stupid. There is no monster living in my closet, but it is so ingrained as a part of me. I can't sleep with the closet door open. Okay. I physically cannot fall asleep if the closet door is open. I can't do it. Right. I will get up and have to close it. And I've tried. I've mm -hmm. tried very hard to get over my fear of the closet monster. Yeah, I've been dating Teacher Mike and all of that jazz and everything else. And when I told him the story of me and the closet monster, we were actually living in Germany. And that asshole, and I will say this now, bought a monster and put it in my closet. <laughs> the worst part about it is, though, is Teacher Mike is six foot four. I am five foot two. He put it at his eye line, not mine. So it sat there for two weeks until I finally saw it. And then, ah! Yes. Yeah. With probably I'm a little bit more screaming. Yes. I screamed like a newborn baby, okay? <laughs> because I'm not going to say like a girl because that's sexist. Even though I a did. New, because a newborn I am. baby girl. Yes. So, Wiki McDoo, tell your dad to contact us. We'd <laughs> love to talk about it. We want to hear more about the scientific evidence. That's all I got to say. I want to know, is this something that Wiki McDoo has used as an example to friends to say, this is why I don't believe Woo X, aliens, Loch Ness Monster, whatever, or if their dad actually told them this. Because I wouldn't be surprised, given the Woo that's out there every day, if someone did actually fully, full on believe this some kind of weird conspiracy theory or something or it's a fun little thought experiment like russell's teapot or sagan's dragon in a garage where i'm going to keep moving the goalpost to say you can't test this so it must be true is 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 this wiki mcdo's invisible aliens that make faces at us that example that might use for casual conversation to say why i don't believe in the loch ness monster it's fun and and it's the kind of thing we probably hear all day every day but people take other things seriously yeah because they think they have evidence for it where if you take it to an extreme like invisible aliens making faces at us it's something that you can dismiss out of hand and say okay now do you understand why i don't believe your crazy ghost story yeah exactly we don't know who this is maybe this is somebody trying to pull our leg which hey i appreciate that 
maybe... choose to believe this is a listener who is just sharing some fun with us. It's the uh, weird thing because the... I am so cynical with the rest of my life, but to believe that someone is just saying, hey, this is kind of fun. Right. Well, I have to say this. It's grammatically correct letter. <laughs> so I'm actually a little impressed by that. I mean, if you really wanted to freak us out, you would have had the random capitalizations, the, mm-hmm. the occasional misspelling. A reference to your breast size or something like that. Something like that, you know, uh, New World Order. Mm-hmm. you got to throw in the New World Order. And it's not a conspiracy <laughs> theory unless you have either Illuminati or New World Order. Yeah. Reptoids, that sort of thing, yeah. I'm going to say thank you, Wiki McDo. You <laughs> kind of made our day. We really appreciate it. You know, send us some more. We'd, we'd love to hear what your, <laughs> your, your next scientific evidence yes. shows us. We... Uh, I, I love the little stories that you hear just of everyday skepticism that aren't like the big, huge examples of someone trying to do a, a fake Bigfoot that they bring to a museum. Or or, or to the San Antonio Draft House. <laughs> or, or anything like that, where it's just little stories that you hear, hear from Aunt Crazy Pants or something like that. And since we are not a big podcast and we are not big names in the skeptical community... We'd be more than happy to take those kind of small little fun stories and start with along with you. So send us what you got. So, you know what? I haven't asked you, Greg, what you've been doing this week. You know, we didn't really get into, you know, what did you do? What did I do? We, we went so thing. just full speed ahead into the birthday segment that we just, we well, didn't socialize. It was balls deep into a squealing pig. Hey, we played Cards Against Humanity. That's one of my favorite cards. Yes, yes, we we did play that. <laughs> Balls deep into a squealing pig into that birthday segment. <laughs> Not exactly how I would have put it, but technically, yes. Well, that noise should let you know, dear listener, of part of something that I did this week that I'm going to tell you about just as soon as Harpo shuts up. A couple days ago, I brought Harpo to the vet for her annual kind of checkup, get updated on vaccines, leave a sample to make sure no parasites, all that kind of stuff. All right. First of all, clean bill of health, good weight, no big cataract problems, all that kind of stuff. So Harpo's awesome. doing well. Yay, Harpo. Now, Harpo was born in about 05, but I adopted her in about 2010 or so. So she was about five years old then, she's about nine years old now. Since I got her when she was five, she has always had a limp in her right front shoulder area. Right. She always favors that leg, that paw is up on tippy toe. You can tell something's going on with that shoulder. When I adopted her from the Humane Society, they said they had done an x-ray on that shoulder to see if there was any a broken bone from an accident or something. And from what they told me, there was nothing there. Okay. So maybe it's an arthritis issue. Maybe it's just congenital. Like she was born that way with some kind of just weird muscle rearrangement or something. She is sensitive in that area, but doesn't seem to have broken bones or something. And I've told vets about this in the past. And so at the end of the visit, the vet that I go to, which is a good vet, essentially said... You know what? I, I think you sh- it should give her glucosamine and chondritin and fish oil supplements because it's really good for the, the, the joints 
and I give them to my dogs and they do wonders and I take some and it, you know, it's, it's great. I feel a lot better and flexibility and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, I, I just want to make sure kind of like with things like Harper was afraid of lightning and thunder and rain in general. She shakes like a leaf. And the doctor said that, you know, well, have you thought about thunder shirts? And I said, well, I've heard of them. I just don't know if they're placebo or not, or if they actually have an effect, or we just think that the dog is calmer. Same thing with glucosamine and chondritin. I don't know enough about it in that case to say, well, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to buy anything today. Let me go research. Okay. So I come home. And I decide, all right, I'm going to look into this. One of the studies that people point to a lot when dealing with glucosamine and chondritin is a study that was published in 06 in the New England Journal of Medicine. Now, I found it on the NIH website, specifically the NCCAM website, part of the website, which is the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Mm. Now, they write it up pretty much as is. And are pretty good with looking at its results. But this kind of study has been put forth as pretty obvious evidence that there really isn't a lot of effect to glucosamine. But a lot of people turn it into, well, maybe there is. Because if you look at this one thing, maybe in a certain light with the, if you squint and if you turn your head just right, right. it means it works. So uh, Harriet Hall has written about this kind of situation with glucosamine. So is Novella. There's also a pretty good website out there called SkepVet.com, which is a blog about various skeptical topics related to veterinary medicine. And at different times, they all seem to reference this 2006 GAIT study, the Glucosamine Arthritis Intervention Trial, where they took about 1,500, 1,600 participants, and they split them into five different groups. You've got one group which is just glucosamine, one group that's just chondritin, one group that is both glucosamine and chondritin, a fourth group which takes celococcib, which is essentially the generic name for Celebrex, which okay. is a known painkiller, which a lot of people take for arthritis-type issues, and then a fifth group, sugar pill placebo. Okay. And they did this over 24 weeks. And uh, a, a consistent amount of the recommended daily, daily allowance of all these kind of medicines. They had subjective pain responses. Um, they tried to look at the essentially cartilage gap in people's knees, which is really, this was all about knee pain. Okay. But really the only thing they could really get any kind of measure on was subjective pain reports at 4, 8, 16, and 24 weeks. Okay. Basically, long story short, when they compared the placebo group to the glucosamine chondritin groups, no significant difference, no effect whatsoever. They actually found a high placebo effect in that compared to their previous ratings of pain at like week one, by the end of the 24 weeks, the people in the placebo group, in addition to the glucosamine group, were reporting, oh yeah, definitely less pain. The The measure was 20% less pain meant it was effective or something like that, but it's very subjective. So this shows that anything you're going to take for pain, including joint pain, which is something that's actually physically where 
the cartilage between the bones is is eaten away and you've got rubbing of bones which is very painful yeah even that where it's a physical cause of pain not we don't know what it is is very placebo effective or or can be really affected by a placebo treatment in any way the celebrex group actually showed a significant difference in pain measurement up compared to the other groups and compared to placebo so you could see yeah there definitely was a difference in pain for the actual treatment of a drug okay so nothing no response but the the people who ran the study split the subject group into two further groups one is mild pain and the other is moderate to severe pain and when they split those two groups apart they said oh look we found something for glucosamine and chondritin both together in the moderate to severe pain group but the problem is remember how i mentioned in the beginning there were about 1600 people in this study right only about 355 or so were in the moderate to severe pain group Okay. Only 22% of that big group. So if you think you got 355 or so people in this subgroup, you divide that into your five groups of the, the three different supplement groups, the Celebex group and the placebo group, that's about 70 people per group. You're really getting that. You're, it's that getting smaller and smaller. A lot smaller. In addition to if you have two subgroups plus five control conditions – that's 10 different groups that you're experimenting on, you're really increasing your likelihood that you're going to have a false positive. And they apparent, and it looks like they really did because it wasn't glucosamine a little, chondritin a little, and then combined a lot. It was only the glucosamine, chondritin combined group. So a lot of people will latch onto that, especially in the CAM world, to say, look, see, glucosamine and chondritin does actually do something, so let's sell some more supplements. Right. And Harriet Hall and Novella and Skepvet have all gone into the idea of that doesn't make any sense. If you're going to have a drug that has an effect, you're probably going to see something in the low pain group as well as the high pain group. It doesn't make sense that, say, a headache pain medication would only work for severe migraines but not for moderate migraines. Or something along those lines. Okay. So long story short, this New, New England Journal of Medicine study back in 06, there's nothing there. There have been meta-analysis studies done in subsequent years. And there was an NPR uh, piece about does this work? Is, is there anything to it? Which also pointed to this 2006 study who said that there are a couple more big studies, I think, in Canada and Europe or Australia that are being run now. Again, to try to test, does it do anything, especially for arthritic knee pain? And in all these different studies, the ones that are run well and not by the supplement companies, there's no effect. That does bring us to that interesting question. So you've gone ahead and you've done all the research because you told your vet that's what you were going to do. How do you tell somebody who's supposed to be an authority? Right. Right. That they're fucked up (laughs) 
Um, I don't know how else to put it. I'm just I I'm in a really blunt mood. I apologize no. right now. Well, well, that's the thing. You can't be that blunt, right? You can't say, <laughs> um, "Dude, really?" Yeah. There, there was in that Skepvet blog on, when you're looking at things like glucosamine. Mo I focused mainly on that, but Skepvet also has an article on the fish oil supplements, was it, which was another mm. suggestion of the vet to kind of be used together to lubricate mm. the joints, which is that doesn't make any sense. We are not we are not the Tin Man mm. from uh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the The way I would probably go about it is next time essentially say, "Well, I've read up of it, including a 2006 New England Journal of Medicine study on 1600 people that showed no effect in arthritic pain." Be very specific in which article I was looking at, not just say, "Oh, I've read up on websites," because right, you when, need... when someone is an authority in that area you got to fight the kind of reverse of the argument of authority fallacy right which is essentially because someone's not of authority they must be wrong right at this point you've got the articles you've got the names and who did them and and all of this jazz i mean my answer to that one would be the next time that you see your vet and he suggests this you have that little kind of memo sheet that says oh well i read this. So I have these five articles that I printed out from Science-Based Medicine and NPR and SkepVet and the you know National Institute of Health, all highlighted for me to read off for this podcast. I should just hand this to her and say, this is what I read. <laughs> I think that she would appreciate yeah. that. I, there's, there's talk a lot on that, especially that SkepVet site, about how there are a lot of veterinary people who have stuck to their guns on glucosamine, despite the fact that the evidence shows, especially with humans, but also with dogs, that there doesn't seem to be any significant, statistically significant effects of these supplements. Right. Let's not go into even the fact that there are a lot of supplements that don't have the full label amount of what they might have or are formulated in such a way that the pill doesn't fully dissolve but you know a lot of these the like science-based medicine articles go into more of the ideas of beyond the fact that studies show this doesn't work there's it doesn't make sense that it should work the conceit of pretty much all supplements is if some is good for you more must be better right i think novella went into that pretty deeply of well that's not necessarily true it may just make expensive urine now, with glucosamine and chondritin, there's really never been seen any severe side effects. So it must be one of those water-soluble kind of vitamin amino acid type things that just, if the body has enough of it, it pisses the rest out. Right. Because the body uses your average everyday nutrition to create glucosamine as a building block for cartilage cells. Yes. So it's not like um, vitamin D, I think. It, no, it's some vitamin D we make, but there are a couple of amino acids that our body can't make, so we have to ingest it. We do make glucosamine, and there's never been any proof that lack of the building blocks for cartilage cells is what leads to arthritic problems. There's basically, from what I understand of arthritis, you've got it's kind of an autoimmune disease in some cases where the body is attacking its own uh, cartilage or it's just wearing down and not being built back up fast enough because someone is of the age where their body can't catch up fast enough. 
Right. So a lack of building blocks is not the problem in either of those cases. Exactly. Basically what we're saying is is that if your vet or doctor gives you something that you consider questionable medical advice. Yeah. Glucosamine as a way to deal with joint pain. Do your research first is I guess what we're saying and then be <laughs> able to to substantively argue it to defend your your and your defend point your position. Yeah. Or like in my case, like I mean I I have I have a wonderful vet who would never ever suggest that. Mm-hmm. I have a wonderful pediatrician who is like the only science-based guy in his little <laughs> practice because I the other two people are very very wooey. Yeah. I mean they've sent they send kids to chiropractors and to acupuncturists and this guy is like it'll be fine. <laughs> There are kids. I don't know why. Every time I do somebody's voice, it comes out old Jewish mother. So just, just <laughs> get over that. But my... My default is the bad Southern accent. Your mine default... Is, mine is, you know... Gravelly Jewish mother Gravelly voice. Jewish yeah. mother who's been smoking for 40 years, you know. <laughs> Boca. Did you hear? Yeah. Jimmy's moving to Boca. <laughs> but my pediatrician would never, ever suggest acupuncture for an allergic reaction. Or would never suggest chiropractic for a bad mood. <laughs> or know. asthma or something. Right, yeah. exactly. So you take them what you can get. Yep. And the last little bit mention, uh, I, I want to mention, just in case people don't know this, because you mentioned allergies, apparently a major source of glucosamine is shellfish and shellfish shells and something like that. Oh, so, in addition to the fact that sometimes even something like glucosamine chondroitin, which has limited side effects, it might have interactions with medicines. Also, how it's made, you may want to be careful because of allergens. Like me. Yes. I believe you have shellfish and yes. nuts. and Shellfish, nuts, and a couple other things. Yes. So, I'm just one of those people. Yes. I know fun at parties. <laughs> but, Donna, something that I know you are not allergic to is movies yes because you are a movie buff i am a movie buff i, I don't work... think you watch them in the buff but that's just not something it depends i watch shame in the buff but that's a movie that you should watch with somebody you want to get to know better or okay. someone you already do know better. better that's that's all i'm going to say about that movie that short bus you know all that kind of stuff oh that that's a movie that just makes you go Wow. I I read about that on Dan Savage's blog. Is that really how you do? Is that how the legs work? Because I couldn't figure out the physics before. Oh, wow. That really is how they do that. Caligula 2. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I love Shame. I think it's a great movie, but it's also one of those movies that you go, wow, about. Because you're just like, you see Michael Fassbender. And when I say you see Michael Fassbender, you see all of Michael Fassbender in the first two minutes of the movie. I am afraid I think I got you on a bit of a tangent because the movie I'm going to get you to talk about as probably doesn't have any graphic sex scenes in it. No, there are no graphic sex scenes. Despite the fact that, no, I'm thinking of the, the lot story. Go ahead. Right. So Noah is the new movie by Darren Aronofsky. His cinematographer is again, Maddie Lipitek. 
You um, may have heard Donna drool about this duo oh, last yes. week. Oh, yes. Okay. FYI, I am a total whore. Yeah. I would be a Maddie Libetek Darinovsky sandwich. I admit it. I'm there. Yes, I would be screaming, oh, God, oh, dog, oh, okay. whatever. Right. Yes, <laughs> we got a lot of that last week. Now you've actually seen the movie, and you can report on its quality. You can talk some about its quality of the movie, but obviously you're, for the show, you're going to talk a lot about how close it matches the biblical side, how much it interprets and, and leaves well, stuff out. And the, the skeptical religious side. Okay. And before she gets into it, spoiler alert! This is Greg cutting in for a second after I finished editing the podcast. If you do not want any spoilers on the Noah movie, fast forward to about an hour 12, hour 13, and then we talk about some other movies and we close out the show. Otherwise, keep listening for Donna's in-depth analysis on the Noah movie. Thanks. You know what? I'm going to make an argument against having spoilers of this because it's a very common story across multiple books, not just the Bible, right. but the story of Gilgamesh. And there are, it seems like every culture has a great flood story. Okay. Right. But the trailer shows some kind of situations where it looks like there's about to be a Lord of the Rings-esque battle about to ensue, and I don't remember that from the Bible stories. Okay. I may have gotten the children's version when I was in back in church, but I don't remember kind of vast kind of orcs and elves and stuff going to battle or anything Well, first like off, that. there are no orcs and there are no elves. There are some mythical creatures in it, not like dragons or unicorns. But, like, one of the first creatures you see is this almost, like, this deer with, like, a, almost like an armadillo-type armor on it. Okay. And it's, it's, it's laying there, and it's, it's been injured by some of the other humans on the planet. Okay. And Noah is saying to his, his young sons, um, Shem and, I can't remember, Shem and Ham, basically about, and it's a very pro-vegetarian kind of <laughs> thing about how the other humans believe that eating meat gives you the power of the animal. But mm -hmm. because we believe we derive our power from the creator and they never actually do say the word God. I was listening <laughs> for this, people, because I had heard that. I was like, oh, they don't say God. And I was all like. It's kind of interesting, you know. Right. Kind of so, so I'm, I should keep a tally of this, but so far I hear two things that would get creationists pissed off. Oh, yeah. One, the fact that they don't mention God, but two, the fact that a lot of creationists believe that the way to explain kind of the fossils and why people lived long or all that kind of stuff is they believe that before the flood, everything was vegetarians, including people. Oh, Some yeah, people no. will say that yeah. in, in this... order to make the, the arc make sense in that why didn't the lions eat everybody or anything like that. They say that, well, until the, after the arc, animals could eat animals, but before that, everything was vegetarian. So that's two things that pisses off creationists right. just so far. So, and they actually do explain why the lions don't eat everybody and, and everything else. Okay. So, and, and I'll get to that. So they deal with some of these creatures that have died out that you, we wouldn't see here today. There is also this kind of theistic evolution argument that gets portrayed. At one point, Noah is telling how the animals came from the sea and onto the land and they grew bigger and all of this. Mm -hmm. And I was all like, whew, 
It's huh. very, very interesting. They're kind of having an evolution argument here. Right, that they weren't mm. created in their modern forms. Right. That they there was change of, of uh, what's, is it the type that they always say that, a dog is always a dog, even if it changes to different types right, of dogs. Right, but this but is macro evolution because they talk about it coming from the oceans onto the land and and further, you know, mm-hmm. like, I was all like, oh. So, so yeah. Very- I, had, I had a little a little moment where I was all like, wow, Aronofsky, you just got a little sexier. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> definitely a theistic evolution thing of saying, well, maybe people back in these biblical times – knew what we know from science that, you know, life started in the oceans and evolved up into more and more complex creatures and eventually came onto land and then became things like birds and dinosaurs and ducks and stuff like that. Right. Now, one of the arguments that a lot of people have been making about it is that because basically Noah is an eco-warrior, okay? (laughs) He is Greenpeace, PETA... Ducks Unlimited, all of that. It's all kind of wrapped in together. Okay. In the process of the story, because if you read the Bible, the story of Noah is in the book of Genesis is only about 25 verses. (laughs) So there, there is a lot of, how shall we say, liberties taken. Okay. Our extrapolations made, I think is actually a, a better way of describing it. Because in the Bible, it says Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives were the ones that were saved. In the story, they save this little girl who grows up to be Shem's wife. Okay. And Ham ends up having to basically, once all the floods have died down and everything else, he has to go out and find his own wife because he's kind of jealous of his brother and there's a whole thing about how the the evil king of the you know the the bad meat eating humans mm-hmm. got onto the ark it's yeah like i said what? So, <laughs> okay so this the king of the humans who basically has gone to noah and said basically you need to save as many people as you can he ends up getting on the ark he is he's hurt and he's basically cared for by ham unbeknownst to his father while the flood is happening. Okay. So it kind of sets up a battle at the and, end. And one of the things you were mentioning when talking about this was that the son Ham, after the flood, went out to go find his wife? Went, just went on a walkabout. They don't really say find a wife, but... So that presupposes that... Some humans survive. Not everybody was killed. Right. But okay. he, it doesn't really say that he goes out to find his wife. He goes out to find his own way. Okay. So keep going. I'm just trying to write down all the well creations that are pissed off at this one. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> so there's, you know, the battle scenes of the ark is ready, the rains are coming. So they're trying to get onto the ark as it's starting to flood and everything else. So there's you know, those are the big Lord of the Rings type battles. Okay, yeah. That's what the trailer shows. Right. And and they're cool. And I have to say this, it is very beautifully filmed. You've got Emma Watson looking all worried, and and uh, the lead actor, um, what the hell is Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe looking all fierce and manly and gritty. Right, and then Jennifer Connelly plays his wife, and she's actually pretty fucking cool. She's <laughs> she's pretty feminist, actually. Okay, that's another she kind of she kind of she's kind of like she's the one who kind of goes to him and is basically like, "Dude, take it down a notch." 
sort of thing. <laughs> you know, she's always this way. So this little girl that they had rescued from the meat-eating humans, she had been injured and they determined that she is probably never going to be able to bear a child. Noah's wife goes and talks to Methuselah, which is Noah's father. Okay. And basically says, what can we do? Shem loves this girl because they've now grown up together. Okay, she's not still a little girl, so right. at least there's So that. they've grown up together. Shem really loves her, and it's it's unfair that he will be unable to have children. And this is before the flood happens. And Methuselah kind of works his little bit of magic and everything else. And surprise, surprise, she gets pregnant. Now, So there's magic, but not necessarily God-given magic. Right. Now, Methuselah is played by Anthony Hopkins, and he is that crazy uncle that everybody <laughs> has. So, like, when they go up and talk to, when Shem, Ham, and Noah go up and talk to him the first time, because he's kind of hiding on this mountain, he's all like, I've forgotten what berries are like. You should bring me berries. I, I'm really hungry for berries, <laughs> you know, okay. and just sort of ignoring Noah. It's kind of funny. You know. So, like I said, he's the crazy uncle that, that just kind of talks about whatever he wants to, even though you're concentrating on something else. Okay. You called your uncle and said, Mom had a heart attack. She's in this hospital, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, he but did be... you see that Jets game? Exactly. Okay. That that would be Methuselah. Okay. So, Ela, this daughter, girl, now the wife of Shem. Mm-hmm gets pregnant even though she was not supposed to. Now this is where the story takes a really interesting turn. And this is what I think is actually where all of the creationists and fundamentalists are having a shit fit. Because Noah goes full on fundy at this point. Basically okay. he has decided that he knows what the word of God has said, told him to build the ark, that's why they're safe, da 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 but that because God was determined to destroy everything and everyone on the planet, with the exception of the animals, which, by the way, it's only two of each, not the correct biblical, <laughs> seven, of the seven pairs of the clean and one pair of the unclean, all of that. Yeah. So that's The kinda, more stereotypical version. Yes. The, the ones you saw on Schoolhouse Rock when they did two by two. Okay. The, you know, the multiplication one? Oh, okay. I, I didn't... I, I, I don't remember all those songs. I'm sorry. I'm actually disappointed. I'm a, a bad little. American. So it, they turn around and he, like I said, he goes full on fundamentalist. And he basically says to Shem, you will bury your mother and I. Ham is going to bury you. The littlest one is going to bury him. And then he's just going to be dead on the ground somewhere. So when he, so when Noah finds out that Ela is pregnant, he basically says, if this baby is a boy, it's fine. He's just going to die out. He'll die after the youngest one. But if it's a girl, I'm going to kill her because she could reproduce. So the interpretation from this story is that it, it hasn't been portrayed, but basically Noah is just saying, I got a message from God. There's not a scene with like a burning bush or anything. Nope. But so the message is not just, is not, I'm going to kill everything except for your family because you are righteous. The message is I'm going to kill all humans. Right. It's it, it, God is like Bender from Futurama. Kill all the humans. Right. Kill okay. all the humans and everything else. Now, 
Noah's messages from God are kind of this whole drug haze thing that he gets while he's up on the mountain for, with Methuselah. So it's it, there's this this whole hmm, <laughs> you know there's a, there's a little bit of humana 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 going on you know. Do they actually show him like drinking a substance or taking a mushroom to induce these visions? No, he basically he falls asleep and it's it's a dream. Okay. But it he dreams of being in the ocean and just seeing the dead bodies all around him and and all of yeah. this jazz. So the dreams are unclear. It's left up to interpretation. Very much like the Vestal Virgins. It could okay. be interpreted various ways, <laughs> sort of thing. You find out that Ela is pregnant. She has twin girls. He sees them, and all of a sudden, you know, he's all like, "Maybe I was wrong," and and on all of this. This is after like she's in labor. Shem and her are going to get on a like a raft sort of they're, thing, and they're just going to take off because they're, they're afraid like, of Noah. They're afraid of Noah, and he like sets fire. I mean, he goes full on. Bundy. And this is while the boat is rocking, rough seas, yes. probably. Yeah. So this is where there's that large interpretation. And once again, like I said, this whole turning Noah into this fundamentalist that's willing <laughs> to kill children. But if you look over the course of Aronofsky and Maddie Libetek's other movies, you can see where they were building to with, with Noah. You see aspects in Noah that you can look at and go... Oh, wow. That's very similar to this scene in Black Swan. Oh, my goodness. That's very similar to this scene in similar, The Fountain. Similar psychological themes and emphasis and lessons and stuff right. like that. And, the and even the styling of it. Because mm -hmm. he does a lot of this silhouette against the darkest night. And it's really neat. And it's, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I will say about this. This is a beautiful movie. Even the scenes where you've got people drowning... Mm -hmm. it's gorgeous right it's also one of the newest movies done with the dolby atmos system which is the newest sound system it sounds amazing it, it is truly an enveloping environment when you see it in the theater okay so it's more than the 5.1 dolby surround sound it's, it's better than the thx next, it's the next generation yes sound system probably mixed very specially you know, right that kind of stuff. and it is better than the thx system that we're so used to the like at the beginning of star yeah. wars the thx i understand why fundamentalists are fucking pissed about this <laughs> okay because it changes the story and changes a lot of the emphasis from right what it sounds. but it also does hit the major points in the story like at the very end after all the water has receded away and everything else, and Noah hasn't killed the two children. And he has a change of heart. Has this change of heart. He basically, I don't know where he got the wine from, but he goes out and gets drunk, and he's laying on the, the beach, and his sons go and cover him up. And that's actually in the book of Genesis okay, about yeah. him getting drunk and being covered up and all that shit. And that was after the flood in the after Bible the, story right. as well? Yes. Okay. It's got that. I understand that they're, oh my God, Noah would never get drunk. Yeah, well, that's what it says in the book of Genesis. Yeah, they may be pissed off at some of the story changes, but that was in the Bible. You're just going right. to have to live with that. If you're if you're going to believe the story as history. Now, yeah. this was something that I didn't know before I saw it, and this is actually something I just learned today, was that Aronofsky has been fascinated by the story of Noah for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And he actually won some, like, children of the united nation contest he wrote a poem about 
the story of Noah. Mm-hmm. And when it's kind of where this... When he was a kid? Or? Yeah, when he okay. was a kid. And so that kind of planted this seed. Now, Aronofsky is a secular Jew. Mm-hmm. He basically has come out and said, I'm a non-believer. I was raised in a Jewish household. I still maintain some of those traditions, but I myself am a non-believer. Right. To him, this is a story like Hercules or Zeus or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where it's a morality tale. It's not history. Right, exactly. And so that's really interesting. And so a lot of people I've seen lately have been debating about whether or not a non-believer can do (laughs) a Bible movie. And what's another interesting thing is they're actually getting ready to do a movie about the book of Exodus. So this is probably going to be the big Bible year. Yeah. Because I want to say it's Abrams is doing the Exodus movie. I don't know. It's a big name and it's going to be a lot of money. You're pl- more plugged into that than I am. So, like I said, it's very interesting. I think it's worth going to see. Mm-hmm. Just for the quality of the movie. There is not a lot of movies of this caliber. It's it's not like one of the really, really sad and corny left behind Bible movies. Or God is not dead. Right. Which I still want to go see just to say I saw it well, and be I, able to pick it apart. But I have such a hard time spending the $8 to go and see it. I, I'm not talking about the philosophy of it and whether or not the dialogue stands up. I'm more talking about the, the quality of the movie. It's, right. It doesn't look like it was shot on videotape with cardboard sets. It's a very quality, beautiful movie yes. is, is, is what I'm saying as opposed to left behind done on a shoestring budget kind of thing right and and i'm, I'm going to make an argument here i'm i'm willing to bet that aronofsky and libitech are going to be nominated for academy awards for this film already mm-hmm. uh, it's barely into nominations for next year the movie has to be shown in in this year 2014 so it's barely into that usually you see much more of your academy nominees at the end of the year but i'm going out on a limb here i'm going to say they're going to be nominated it is most likely this weekend making its cost back. <laughs> yeah. um, it made something like $44 million domestically this this past weekend. So they're going to make a sequel, Noah 2, Electric Boogaloo. We can only hope. <laughs> and it made 40-something internationally. It's going to do well. Mm-hmm. I do see where Fundies and Glenn Beck are having shit fits over it. <laughs> because I really do believe this whole turning Noah into a fundamentalist from eco-warrior to fundamentalist was just way too much for them to handle. Right. Very environmentalist. That kind right. Of, because we, he we ca- need to be the wards of the environment to protect it because it could go away. Right. It could be destroyed. And you might even say that the entire Noah story can also be interpreted in an environmentalist kind of point of view to say, if we don't do something to protect the animals because of basically a the disasters that we have done to the united to the world like global warming and all that then they will all die so we have to be the protectors of the environment right now this is the one part that they didn't explain and i kind of wish that they they had a little bit of it is it the little flintstones martian that tells fred Fred flintstone what to do no okay one of the points that you brought up earlier was how did the lions not eat everything that's on the ark? So what they do is they show them as they're gathering up all the animals. And actually, they don't really gather them up. The animals just come to them. The, the trailer makes it look like everything is coming of its own accord. Right. So the, these animals are coming to them. Sort of like God has sent them, said yeah. we're going to save you. 
It's a so, miracle. So they're building this ark. They're housing these animals. And apparently they have some sort of magical sleeping incense that they walk around the animals and all the animals go to sleep. Okay. So you see them walking around and you see the animals going, so they essentially put them all in cryogenic suspended animation for the entire trip. Yes. You know what? I am surprised a fundamentalist has not thought of that as an example, uh, as an explanation of how did they survive all that time without any extra food, without the lions and eating everything. God just put them all to sleep and that was that. Yeah, but God didn't do it. You see them walking around with this incense and you yeah. see them falling asleep. They don't tell you where they got the shit from. That's what I, you know, that was kind of one of those, where did they get this? Where did they gain that knowledge? They, they all seem to know this as traditional medicine or something. Yeah. And there's no really backstory to, of, oh, this is from the blah, blah flower. Kind exactly. Of. There's, there's not a, a, a MacGuffin to explain why it is. It's just a MacGuffin. Right. Yeah. I've also heard that apparently some of the fundamentalists, the modern fundamentalists, are a little pissed off about the cubit size that was used. Yeah. Like that that they they used 700 cubits, but also used the biggest version of cubit as interpreted by various different... No one knows exactly how big a cubit is. Right. It's not equal to 1.3 feet or anything like that. We just don't know. So various people have guesstimated based on... I guess some other historical documents or other stuff that has been found or what's the biggest thing that could have been built at the time arc mm. or otherwise and say that's probably makes this amount a cubit this many meters or something right. like that. And it, it, it seems that some fundamentalists are pissed off that the kind of standard Protestant version of it equals this many feet because they don't want to talk about meters is is they're doing it wrong. Right. So they do wrap kind of this supernatural and like I said, just they, they don't mention how big the cubit is and everything else. And this thing is, is huge. And my understanding is, is they built it as big as they could get yeah. away with. Because they built basically a whole arc. Did they build a big set in a warehouse probably? Yes. Yeah. Now, when he goes to see Methuselah for the first time, you know, he goes up the mountain and it's it's barren and everything else. So he goes up the mountain and he has his little dream thing and he finds this seed. Now, Darren Aronofsky is very big on this seed motif. Idea. Motif, yeah. yes. So he buries the seed and he's walking around and he there's a teardrop and suddenly flowers start spouting. So this is starting to sound a lot more like a masturbation metaphor. There's seed, there's tears going and things spurting yes sprouting, sprouting and sprouting and... and basically that's how he gets all of the wood to build the ark so it basically builds this oh, forest okay a magic they... forest appears overnight kind of thing. right now if you look at the fountain which was his two or three films back and 37 people saw it i was one i saw it <laughs> twice in the same day fyi I've heard of it, but I guess I've never seen it. Side note, I consider The Fountain one of the best movies ever made. A lot of people hate it. It is esoteric. It is intelligent. You have to think in order to get the story. I'm guessing Noah is a little bit more accessible. Yes, Noah is a little bit more accessible. 
the story of the fountain is three separate stories. There's a story of a conquistador looking for the tree of life in the new world. There is this modern day doctor who is losing his wife. And then there is a, an astronaut for lack of better words. So he buries it. He buries this seed. And when it cuts back to the story of the conquistador and he has found the tree of life. And when he, drinks the sap of the tree of life rather than healing his mortal wounds that he has received while trying to find the tree of life it heals them but then flowers start popping out of him and he basically gets taken over by the tree okay sort of the the tree can't reproduce life other than plant life right so So, kind of a be careful what you wish for you exactly don't know what you're asking for kind of thing it's very similar in Noah, where you see this whole, you know, the, the tears and outspouts these flowers, and it's, it's just very similar. Mm-hmm. Watch the two movies, you'll go, oh, look, there's that, and right. there's that. And you can see where Aronofsky and Libetech draw their sources of inspiration. So it's actually really neat to sit there and go and look through Aronofsky's library and go, mm-hmm. I see where you're growing as a filmmaker and I can see, I can look at this and go, this is an Aronofsky film. Had I not known it was an Aronofsky film, I would have seen it and gone, this has to be Aronofsky. Someone somewhere is designing an undergraduate course to essentially watch the the films of Aronofsky and talk about the themes that run through all of them, that sort of thing. Yes. But like I said, it's, it's well done. There is a lot of practical effects as well as CGI the CGI is well done. It's well lit. It it sounds great. It is a total movie experience. With that being said, it's how's too... the acting? It's Russell Crowe. He doesn't act. He stands <laughs> there and grunts. Okay, this yeah. is this is one of the problems that I had with it is that it's Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, fantastic job. I can see her being nominated for an award. Emma Watson does this great job especially at the end where she is confronting him and she's got these two newborn babies and she's just going if you're going to do this basically i'm stuck on this arc now because you burned up the only way that i'm getting the fuck away from you if you're going to do this you need to do it now quit being a pissy bitch and do it and kill us all yeah and then he looks and he's like oh the the seeing the newborn baby he can't do it da 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 right and so I guess that's kind of the whole, oh, look, I can't obey God. That's why as the waters recede, he has to go get drunk and all of it. Because he has a crisis right. of faith. Okay. The guys who play, I mean, Methuselah is a great character. But like I said, he's the crazy uncle. And it right. just looks like Anthony Cop- Hopkins had a lot of fun <laughs> going, hmm, berries. Well, it sounds like the kind of part that he got to come in for like two days chew the scenery in a good way because that's what anthony hopkins does and collect his check and move on right i'm guessing he wasn't in the entire movie right shim and ham and the little brother do a great job the guy ray winston who plays the king of the The evil humans the barbarians he did a great job and his answer is i have to save these people they depend on me and if your arc is the way to do it Fuck it, I'm going after you. Screw the animals, I'm going for it. Right. Yeah. He is trying to save his people. Mm-hmm. But you watch his people descend into anarchy, too. And so you kind of go, maybe they shouldn't be saved. Hmm. Right. These aren't the best examples of humanity, kind of, from the Bible's part of the story. Right. 
but it also, like I said, you see Russell Crowe as Noah descend into this fundamentalist because he has the chance to save somebody mm-hmm. and he chooses not to do it. Right. Now, this is a woman of age that could have been Ham's wife. Okay. So he could have saved this woman. He chose not to because in his eye, God was going to destroy everybody. So I recommend seeing it. I think it is a great movie. I love that he kind of fleshed out this story. I do understand why fundamentalists are pissed off about it. And frankly, my answer to that is get the fuck over it. Kind of tough titties. (laughs) It's a story. Yeah. You could have called this Gilgamesh. I don't see people who celebrate the Norse religions getting all pissed off about Thor. (laughs) So get the fuck over it. Right. There were some people who got pissed off that uh, the Heimdall character was cast with a black actor way back when because all Norse people are supposed to be white. So it was like, well, he can't be white. It's a Norse thing. But yeah. Yeah, and I can't think of that actor's name right now because he was just in the new Mandela movie and was recently nominated for an Academy Award. Really good. But he is fucking awesome. Yes. If you haven't seen it, watch (laughs) Luther. It's a BBC show. You Mm -hmm. can get it on Netflix. Watch it, watch it, watch it. He is amazing. (laughs) And I have a little thing for him. But, you know, that's me. I am guessing there's probably a bunch of atheists slash skeptic groups this last weekend and in coming weeks or something that are organizing little meetups to go see the movie and then talk about it afterwards. That probably might be fun to do to talk about how the biblical things tie in or not, what liberties they took with the story to kind of figure out how you're going to talk to about, talk to people about this and their responses. This is what I'm going to say about that. The people that I saw talking about Noah were not a lot of people that I knew who are in the atheist community were going to see it. Um, they were actually going to see God is dead. Yeah. I can't get over spending $8 to go. I actually had a chance to go and see it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I ended up seeing Divergent, mm-hmm. which is, it's an okay film. Another one of these post-apocalyptic young girl must save the world films, but right. Where of it's, course it's got the poster of the woman with her butt towards the camera, but also turns so you can see her boobs. Yes. Yes. Um, I probably will see God is dead. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> hoping to get a little atheist group so we can sit around and talk about it because it's, oh man, everything I'm hearing about it is just yeah. horrible. Well, would you be willing to do something like go and pay for, let's say, Divergent or something, but go into the other theater instead? The no. The movie theater still making no, money? No. I, I can't do that because this is my argument about it. Even though I disagree with the whole premise of God is dead. I'm fairly certain that not everybody who worked on it is a rabid <laughs> fundamentalist wackadoodle Christian. Right. Therefore I will believe even if I cannot prove it, I will believe that some of my money is going to pay the sound guy or the PA or who might get a real job someday <laughs> who is working mm-hmm. and so far in that closet that he's had to take this job mm-hmm. in order to put food on a table. I am supporting that guy, right. that girl, but you're not fond of wanting to give your money to what is essentially apologetic porn. Yes. 
<laughs> I love that term, apologetic porn. Yep. I'm going to have to use that one. But on that note, uh, what did we learn this week, Donna? What did we learn today? We learned that Francisco de Paulo Candida Xavier apparently could do automatic writing, but was completely ooged out by licking his own wounds. Well, it was, it was licking someone else's wounds, but yeah. Well, you would so, be too. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, so am I. So happy birthday, despite the fact that you're dead. FYI, I automatically wrote that <laughs> because I just reformed this whole happy birthday recap segment. <laughs> We got listener mail from Wiki McDo. Yes, that is their real name. Thanks for the letter. We are looking forward to your scientific evidence for Bigfoot ancient aliens and chemtrails. Actually, we really enjoy listener mail, so please send us more. We're kind of lonely and geeky. And yeah, I'm going to stop right <laughs> there. If, if it was just a creative story, it was great. Yes. Please send more. <laughs> Glucosamine. Greg's vet recommends it, despite the research saying it really does nothing except maybe give me a giant allergic reaction being made from shellfish and all. So, the lesson of today's podcast, dear listener, is if your vet gives you questionable advice, go research it. Yep. Bring in peer-reviewed studies annotated with where you might have problems with the evidence. Read places like Science-Based Medicine and SkepVet, and be prepared to politely argue with your vet or your doctor Stating that they're not as well-read as you are, yeah. but do it politely. Yes. And it's a good lesson for doing research and having any sort of discussion with anybody that you might disagree with. Even though the temptation really, really, really is to just scream at them and say, fuck you, that's why. And finally, Noah. I went, I saw it, I liked it. And if you've made it this far, you now understand why you should never see a <laughs> film with filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I once I in in high school and college once I was learning more about music and its fundamentals and uh, being able to hear things better and understand where things are going. Sometimes I felt like, oh, I've lost a little. I can see how the sausage is made, but other ways I felt that I got more out of the experience because I could see how something was technically really involved and really well done, and I could appreciate it more. Yes, exactly. Kind of like the, I never dance, but um, apparently that big show-stopping number in tap dancing where someone just kind of waves their arms around and plump, 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 they're, they're like kicking both legs at the same time. Apparently that's an actually really easy step to do, or there's some other tap dancey type thing that's really easy to do, but the crowd always goes wild. Yes. So once you know the technical stuff, you can say, well, forget the big showy thing. That 10-minute thing the guy did on the stairs and stepping up and down, holy crap, that must have taken six months of practice. You can appreciate things more. And the same thing with maybe seeing a film with a filmmaker. You can yeah. find out what are the really good things and, and be pointed out to what is the really bad things. I am probably the worst person you ever want to see a film with because I will write a fucking dissertation afterwards as evidenced by our show tonight. <laughs> Just saying. A little bit of a long one, but I think we kept things moving. Yep. Yeah. All right. So hopefully uh, Mr. Gary. Lawn will be back with us next week. What's his name again? Mr. Lawn? <laughs> yes. We'll be back with us next week. Other than that, I just have to say goodbye. <laughs> See you later. 
Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. I also, if you are into comic book movies, Winter Soldier, I got a press pass to it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh, they they hit it. Cool. It's it's two hours of of explosions and mm-hmm. fun, and you're just like, I. Yep. You know what's the one thing I didn't bring up in this? There's one scene in, um, one little bit in in Noah in Noah that made me just go, oh, really? You went there? It's this whole. There's this whole montage of mother animals and little babies. It's a montage. Yes, <laughs> and I'm just like, really? It's your movie is two hours plus. So this we is didn't... this is at the end when all the animals are getting out and you say oh they're having babies and repopulating yes. it's a very heartwarming montage but holy fuck end the damn movie right exactly and then i was like i was just like really did we have to go oh <laughs>